Good morning. My name is Ellis White. I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. And uh, if you didn't know what that song was, then I guess you just aren't one of the cool kids. Um, but that was a, a hit song from 2014, a group called Echo Smith. Uh, and it's got a sentiment to it that I think a lot of us can relate to. This idea, this desire that we have within us to fit in, to be a part of uh, the, cool, the cool group, to be in, to, be, to belong. And uh, this morning, the chapter that we get to in the story is all about how the people of Israel, God's people, had this same desire to fit in, to belong, to be like everyone else. All this year, we are preaching through the entire Bible from beginning to end, and we're using a resource called The Story. And we started a couple of months ago in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible, and we'll finish up in June in the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible. And so far in the story, we've seen that God has created this world, that he has created humans as a a special creation within this world, a, a creation that he wants to have a relationship with. But sadly, we've seen that humanity has said, actually, we want to go our own way. We don't want you messing around in our lives, and we don't want this relationship with you. But God hasn't given up. He's continued to pursue humanity. He's continued to reach out in relationship to them. And he had a plan for a way to do that. And that plan was to call a family, to call a family to be his light to the world. And that family were the descendants of a man named Abraham. And they became known as the people of Israel. And God called them, set them apart, made them his special nation so that they could show the world by the way that they lived that he was the one true God and that he was their king reigning and ruling over them. God not only set them apart and made them his own and gave them a new way to live, he gave them a land to live in, a place to belong. And we've seen them go on this journey out of slavery. God delivered them and into the land he brought them. And then two weeks ago, we heard about their initial years living in this land, about how they entered into this cycle that they went around again and again and again, where they turned away from their God, they worshipped other gods, and God handed them over to the nations surrounding them, who oppressed them. And the people called out to God, and God raised up a number of men and one woman who became leaders of the people and delivered them from oppression And brought them back to the true worship of God. And we saw that happen time and time and time again. God's people turning away from him. Him raising up a a man or a woman called a judge to lead them out from oppression and back to the worship of God. And the very last of those judges was a man named Samuel. And this morning we are going to look at an interaction between the elders of Israel and Samuel. And this interaction is is going to pave the way for the rest of Israel's history. It is a significant interaction in the story of God. So I want you to grab your Bibles this morning. There are pew Bibles in front of you. You are welcome to get your phones out, but we have Bluetooth scanners checking to see if you're on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Only the Bible app will work in this sanctuary. Um, And 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where I'd love you to turn. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is on page, if you're in your pew Bibles, 232. So we're going to kind of go through this bit by bit, and I'd love you to have that in front of you so that you can refer to it. 
1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're in verse, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Samuel does something unprecedented here for a judge. All the judges before him, when they finished their judging career, they died, and there was no more judge after them until God raised up another judge. Samuel instead decides to appoint his own sons as judges after him. This is new. This is different. Sadly, Samuel's sons did not follow the Lord in the way that Samuel did. And I know that there's many people sitting here this morning who struggle with the same things with their children. And I want you to take heart from this, that even godly men, godly people in the Bible struggled with children who were prodigals. You're not alone in the midst of what you're dealing with. Well, let's carry on with this story. The the elders of Israel saw that Samuel had appointed his sons and they said, well, if, if he can appoint judges, then maybe he can appoint another role. Let's keep reading verse four. All the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. What a great way to start a conversation. It gets better. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Here it is. Such as all the other nations have. You remember the song? I wish that I could be like the cool kids. The people, the the elders of, of the people of Israel come to Samuel and they say, Hey Sam, so the thing is, you're getting old, your days are numbered. And uh, I know you appointed your sons and all that, but actually they suck. Um, and, and honestly, we're not sure this whole judging thing works for us. We seem to be going through this cycle again and again where we get handed over to these other nations and they oppress us. And, and I'm not sure this judge thing works. You see, these other nations, they have kings. And that seems to work really well for them. So since you can appoint people, as we've seen, we want you to appoint a king for us so we can be just like everyone else, just like those other nations, have a king who can lead us. Well, you can imagine after that conversation, Samuel was, was a little bit disheartened. They'd said, you suck, your sons suck. We want a king, we don't want a judge. So what does he do next? Let's keep reading. Verse six, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. How many of us, when we're displeased or disheartened, turn in prayer? I don't know that that's always true of me. I wish that it were more so. Samuel prayed to the Lord, verse 7, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now, listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. You see, Samuel's disheartened, but God says to him in this this prayer time that they're having together, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. You see, I'm their king. They're, They're a different nation than the other nations. And when they say, we don't want God to be our king, we want man to be our king, 
That's actually idolatry. That's worshiping other gods. That's what they've been doing all the way along. Idolatry is what God calls us. They rejected God as king. And so God says to Samuel, listen to them, hear them out, but warn them of the consequences of their decision. Tell them what life will be like living under a king who is a man. So Samuel goes back to the people. He tells them what God has said. And he warns them of the consequences. Let's, let's read those consequences. Verse 11, Samuel said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. So Samuel's going to give a big long list here of the things that the king will do. If they choose to have a king, this is what life will be like. He, the king, will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some of your sons, that is, he'll assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others of your sons to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage, that's your your wine, your grapes, and he'll give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your fox and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. Basically, it will be like this nation would have been if Britain had won the War of Independence. I mean, sure, you'd pay a few more taxes, but they'd be spent on the things you really need, like a royal family, who, who do the jobs that no one else wants to do, like being driven around in a nice car while waving. Samuel warned them, but the people have made up their minds. And I think you can empathize, you can sympathize with Samuel and his um, dislike of the idea of a monarchy as Americans. But the people had made up their minds. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then, here it comes, we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go out before us and fight our battles. I wish that I could be like the cool kids. I wish that I could be like the cool kids. They say to Sam, hey, look, we hear you. We hear your warning and everything, but we don't care. We want to be like everyone else. We want to have a king. We, we want a man who can lead us, okay? We want one who, a man who can go before us. We want a man who can, who can fight for us. And so Samuel goes back to God. He tells them what the people have said. And God responds to him. Verse 22, the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And God is the perfect gentleman. He says, these are the consequences, but if that's what you want to choose, I'm not going to stand in your way. And we've seen him do this time and time and time again. We saw it back in the garden with Adam and Eve. These are the consequences, whatever you choose. 
We saw him do it in the wilderness for 40 years. These are the consequences, but if that's what you want to choose. And we've seen him do it in the book of Judges again and again and again and again. These are the consequences. But if that's what you want to choose, and we see him do it here, he says to his people, these are the consequences of your action, of your choice. But if that's what you want to do, okay. And the consequences did play out. For the next 500 years, Israel lived under a long line of kings. And some of those kings were good. The good ones only did what Samuel warned them about. But many of those kings were really bad. Some of them were downright awful. Some of them led Israel into the darkest places in their history. Some of them led them to do uh, acts of, of worship to other gods that were unspeakable, unthinkable. Some of them led the people to sacrifice their own children to these other gods. And so 500 years later, God had exiled the people out from their land. They'd lost their king. They'd lost their identity. They'd lost everything because God knew that they had not learned that he was their leader, that he was their king. And so he exiled them so that they might learn that lesson. I think the real issue in this passage, the real heart of this passage comes in something that God says, and we read in verse seven. God says to Samuel in this interaction with him, it's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. Israel was a different nation to all the others. They, they've been chosen by God to be his special people. They've been chosen by him to be a part of his plan to save and redeem and rescue the world, to bring the world back into relationship with him. He'd set them apart. He'd made them different. He'd given them a different way to live because in the way that they lived, they were to show the world that the Lord was the one true God. And they were to show the world that he was their king, not a man, but God was their king, reigning and ruling over them. And they'd been given this special relationship. God spoke to them. God led them. God fought on their behalf. He, he brought them out of slavery. He brought them into this land, conquering the nations before them. And yet, the people turned around to God and said, actually, we don't want to be the special people. We don't want this special relationship with you as our king. We just want to be like everyone else. We want to be like the cool kids. We want to fit in. We want to have a man who leads us, a man who fights for us, a man who goes before us. And God says, okay, if that's what you want. One commentator said it this way. He said, what they hoped to do was exactly to throw away their special status as the chosen people of God in order to identify themselves with the nation's of this world. Throw away their special status. Hey God, we know that you've chosen us and that we're special and all, and but actually, we just want to fit in and be like everyone else. My own story is not dissimilar from the people of Israel. I've always wanted to fit in. I've always wanted to belong. I've always wanted to be a part of the cool kids, especially in high school. I tried really hard to fit in 
when I was in high school. I tried to listen to the right music. I tried to wear the right sorts of clothes. I tried to sit with the right kids at lunch. I um, tried to play the right sports and be really good at the right sports. I, I even cut off friendships that were holding me back. You know, if I, if I had someone who wasn't cool who I was friends with, I just started ignoring them so that I could be more cool. But the saddest thing about it all was that I had to hide my faith to fit in with the cool kids. You see, they were not Christians, the kids I wanted to be in with. And they certainly didn't have Christian behavior. Okay, they, were, they were into drinking and womanizing, viewing pornography and cussing. And, and so if I wanted to be a part of them, what I had to do was say to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, just take a back seat for a little bit. Maybe sit in the corner for a while because I want to be like these guys over here. I want to fit in with them. So just, just hold, hold on. Maybe I'll be back, but I'm going to fit in with these guys. And so I, I, I did that. I started drinking with them. I made a name for myself as someone who could drink. I started womanizing like they did. I started looking at the same magazines that they did and not for the articles. And I started to use language like they did. And I tried my hardest to fit in and be like them. And in the process, God said, okay, if that's what you want, Alice, go for it. It all came to a head one night after a a, a night of drinking. I ended up having my brand new cell phone stolen. This was a a big deal for an 18-year-old. We didn't have cell phone insurance back then. No one one had come up with that idea. And so this was was a lot of money that I put into this and I was going to lose. And uh, I had to get my parents. My parents came and picked me up that night and I, I don't think they'd ever seen me. Um, in the state that I was in, and um, it, was, it was an awful night. The next morning, I woke up, and I just had this, this deep sense within me of everything I've been, I've been chasing, everything I've been going after, it's worthless. It's not worth anything. It, it's just, it's nothing. That morning, my parents sat me down, and, and they said to me, Ellis, You can't follow Jesus and be like one of the lads. Maybe that's a Britishism. I don't know if you guys use that phrase here, like one of the lads, but we do in England. It means be like the cool kids. Um, Ellis, you can't follow Jesus and be like one of the lads. Either you believe in Jesus and you follow him and that affects your behavior, or you don't. It's your choice. But they did say one more thing to me. They said, we don't care how hungover you are, you're still coming to church. And so that morning in St. Aldate's church, the church where I would have my formative spiritual years, the church where I'd later meet my wife, Rachel, the church where I'd marry her. As I was standing in that church, I can even remember the spot that I was standing in. As I'm singing those songs, I had a come to Jesus moment. I realized that the harder I tried to fit in, the more insecure I felt. And as the words of those songs were were washing over me, I began to realize that I belonged to Jesus. And because I belonged to Jesus, I didn't need to belong to that group of people. Because Jesus was never going to leave me nor forsake me. He wasn't going to reject me if I wasn't cool enough. He wasn't going to reject me if I didn't do the things that everyone else was doing because he didn't choose me on the basis of my actions. 
He chose me on the basis of his actions, of his love, of his creation, of his choice to save me and redeem me. I was secure in Jesus. I belonged to Jesus. And there was nothing that could happen, nothing that I could do, nothing that anyone else could do that could change that. The truth is that every single one of us does what the people of Israel did in this story. Every single one of us goes, hey God, I know that you've chosen me. I know that we've got this special relationship. But right now, I just want to be like everyone else. I just want to fit in. I just want to be like the cool kids. I don't want to live the way you're telling me to live. I want to fit in with what's going on around me. And every time we do that, we believe a lie. We believe a lie that we're better off fitting in with this world. We believe a lie that we'd be more secure if we fitted in with this world. That we'd be more happy if we fitted in with this world. But it is not the truth. The truth is that true security and true happiness is found in Jesus alone. The scarlet thread in our story today is that just as God was Israel's true king, Jesus is our true king. And when we belong to Jesus, he is the one who leads us into the midst of the battles of this life. He is the one who goes before us. He is the one who fights for us. And when we belong to him, we have the ultimate security. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will not abandon us. He will stay with us. And we do not need what this world has to offer. All that we need is found in the person of Jesus. When my wife Rachel and I were preparing to get married, we met with the the man who was going to marry us. His name was Alan Ramsey. And talk about a cool kid. He had a slim fit robe that he wore. I mean, that that cat was cool. And and he said to us one thing that will stick with us in our marriage for, for the rest of our lives, I'm sure. We continually go back to this comment. He said to us, be courageous in your marriage. Don't be like everyone else and seek after the things that they seek after. Family, career, kids, a house that you own. Listen to God. Do what he tells you to do. Take risks. Be courageous. Where is God calling you to be courageous at this point in your life? Where are you tempted to believe the lie that if you fitted in with the world, that if you were just like everyone else, you'd be better off? Is it in the place that you live? Your house? Is it in your your finances, the way you spend your money? Is it in your sexual activity? Is it in the way that you shop? The way that you're planning for Christmas? Where is it that you are so tempted to believe that if I was like everyone else, I'd be better off? Because it's a lie. Church, God 
has called us. He has chosen us. He has set us apart to be his, to be special and to be different. He has called us to be his ambassadors to a dying and hurting world. Right now, there are people in Europe, in the city of Paris, who are fearing for their life, who do not know what it will take to make them secure. We have that security in Christ alone, in our true King Jesus, the one who leads us into the midst of the battles, the one who goes before us, the one who will fight for us. We do not need to fit in with the people of this world. We have something better. And we have something better to offer them. And we have the opportunity to live in a way that reflects who we are. Chosen, called, the people of God. Set apart for him. To reflect who he is. To reflect his love for this world. Church, don't be like the people of Israel. And choose to be like this world. Be like the people that God has called you to be and change this world. Let's pray. God, we're sorry for the times that we believe that lie, that we'd be better off being like everyone else. God, whatever it is, the the places in our life where we believed it, where we're tempted to believe it, God, we bring them before you now. We lay them down before you. God, we're sorry for choosing someone other than you. And God, would you help us to know and believe that in you, we do have all that we need. God, that we have true security in you as our king. The true joy, true peace is found in being a child of God. And God, would you cast out all fear, all fear, Would you cast it out now that is seeking to prevent us from being different? I pray against the fear of man that is holding us back from being the people you've called us to be, from living into the destiny that you have for us as your people, as your church. God, would we be a church that is known for being different? Will we be a church that is known for being courageous? Will we be a church that is known for taking risks? Would we be a church that is known for displaying your love to a dying and hurting world? for displaying that you are our true king? Would we be a church that you use to bring your kingdom on this earth? God, use us, we pray. Transform our community, we pray. Jesus, would you do a work? God, take our lives and use them.